There were 427 people aboard the Pyongyang Metro in North Korea when the first wave hit. Though all power was knocked out, most of them survived for more than an hour. One woman suffered a heart attack when the train lurched to a stop. One man was trampled as people rushed the back door. An officer was stabbed when he tried to prevent someone from forcing a set of sliding doors open. It took the heat a while to make it down 110 meters, but like any oven, heat will travel where it is invited, and there was no seal to protect these tunnels from what went on over their heads. Though the flames didn't descend the whole way, the temperature rose degree by degree until blisters bubbled on flesh, and the screams of 424 people being roasted alive echoed through that death chamber like the torture bells of hell. I am Alana, and this is Racing Home the podcast where I unpack the journey of writing the first book in a series about the end of the world. Welcome. I have discovered my biggest blind spot in terms of this story. And that is the most important event, the thing upon which everything hinges, essentially the end of the world as we know it. I have not explored what that is and how it happened and it's been causing me so much stress and i it's just been on a constant loop in my head how am i going to make this event happen and how am i going to justify it in terms of science and what is my responsibility and how in the world is it just now that i'm thinking of this okay so let's unpack this a little bit what you heard in that opening tiny excerpt is a little wee scene capturing the experience in one part of the world at the end. And so I have little snippets like this because I want to show that this is a worldwide event. However, I don't know what's making the fire. All I know and all that has been driving me is that the world is going to be set on fire. And that's, it's not so simple. And I don't know how to do it. I do have some rather grand, ridiculous ideas that have come from this constant spinning I've been doing over the last week, trying to figure it out. And I've done some interesting research, but I am not a scientist and I don't know how to make all, all the scientists of the world dumb enough to miss the thing that has to happen in order to make the thing happen that I need to happen to make this book make sense. (laughs) Do you know what I mean? Good grief. Here is where I am landing. Fiction is not real. I need to trust the reader to suspend their belief around whatever system I put in place to cause this mass destruction. So while I will do my due diligence and try and put some little science spin behind it, as I believe is my duty, my larger duty is to the humans this whole thing affects. And that is what the story is about. The story is not about the fire that wipes out the majority of humanity. The fire is about the survivors. So that is how I'm going to try and dwell there. And that is where I'm going to find my peace about the story. So I just need you as my future reader to understand 
that you need to not care so much about why the world is ending or how the world is ending. You just need to care that people are going to survive and that maybe science will tear my whole idea apart. But that's not what this story is about. Do you understand my struggle? You have to make it real enough that the reader is willing to suspend that belief. I keep coming back to the movie Armageddon, which was from like late 90s. I'm sure you've seen it. An asteroid is coming to destroy the planet and Bruce Willis, he's got to go save it. I loved the movie when it came out. It's been years since I've seen it. The theme song from that movie was actually my first dance wedding song. So I have a little, you know, sentimental connection there. But my point is, I didn't care about the asteroid in that movie. I didn't care how it appeared, how the people on Earth discovered it. I cared about the journey of those um, misfit astronauts getting sent to space to save the planet. I cared about their quest. I didn't care about what makes an asteroid and could the whatever drilling they do, I don't even remember the story, but I think they drill into it and it's very important that they reach a certain core level. I don't know. That didn't matter. What mattered was the dynamic and relationship between the characters. In the spirit of Armageddon, and with the support of our sweet Bruce Willis, I am just going to carry on and tell the story and trust the reader that they're going to trust this universe I've created and they're going to embrace the story. That's all, all I have to say. That is the profound thought of the day. Because I've been stuck here, I haven't done new writing like as a, apart from a couple hundred words. I've just been really hung up on this and I'm going to work to get past it. So thanks for hanging in with me. I hope that my ramblings bring you something. Maybe you just check in to figure out how dumb I am this week. That's okay. The answer is pretty dumb. We're not feeling too hot right now, but it's all going to come together. I am having faith. Dear Bruce Willis, help me guide my fingers on that keyboard. Amen. Let's um, wrap this up. I'll, I'll just end with another um, little snapshot of an event that happens in the world when it all burns. Like I called the book When the Trees All Burn. You'd think I would have thought, maybe I need to figure out why the trees burn. <sighs> Shoot. Never let anyone tell you that it's easy to write a book. It's not. Let's dive into this little scene. Thanks for being here. Jack Hammond was inside Cersei 31 at the Kennedy Space Center VAB doing a full systems check beneath the front motherboard when everything lit up with a blinding white light. He hit his head as he pulled out and tried to make sense of what had happened. Through the front panels, a wicked fire raged. He tried to raise his crew on the walkie-talkie but was only met with static. He remembered the radio DJ on his way into work that morning, mocking the predictions of that kooky Noah character. Guess this is the last time you'll ever hear me say it, so let's make it count. Good morning, Cape Canaveral, he had said. So then it was true. Jack sank to the floor and checked his watch. 
The shuttle held him like a capsule, like a coffin. It was built to withstand the 5,000 degrees Fahrenheit temperature upon re-entry into Earth's atmosphere, so he was fine for the time being. Had the ECLSS air system been turned on and recycling oxygen, he might have been fine for a while, but they weren't scheduled to be tested until the next day. By his calculation, he had seven days of air in the sealed shuttle, but dehydration would likely take him first. He watched the flames through the window and fought to control his breathing, though why and for what he couldn't quite grasp. Chin up, bright eyes. We'll talk again next week. If you would like to support my writing journey with a small financial donation, you may do so by visiting bio.site slash Alana Rusnak. That link is available in the show notes. You can make a donation of any size of your choosing and it will go towards funding the production of this book. Writing takes a lot of time, a lot of energy. It requires a lot of coffee and chocolate. So if you want to help out, that's one way you can do it. Donations over $50 will be automatically signed up to receive a signed copy of When the Trees All Burned at least one week before official launch.